welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. We're in week two of Deep Clean. What happens when we feel or experience guilt? You can run to God or you can sink in shame. This week, Pastor Andy talks specifically about what to do with our guilt and how to be set free from our shame. Enjoy the message. We're going to talk about the soul again this week, but this week we're going to talk about what gets lodged in it. And specifically, shame. Shame. How many of you have ever felt shameful about something or you felt guilty about something, all right? And so not, uh, about half of our hands are up. That means half of you are liars in here, all right? We have all, or, or you're like, or you don't realize like in church, you know, maybe you've come in from a church background where you just observe. And if you've been at Kenosha City Church for more than a second, you realize this is a participatory church. And so uh, you definitely can participate. We love that. So and we've all felt shame, haven't we? We all felt guilty about something in our life. It could be trivial. It could be something so deep uh, that it really has shaken you to the core. When I think of, there's a lot of stories I could think of that make me embarrassed that are just like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I did that. Uh, but one of the things I did once that just actually made me feel shame uh, happened when I was a window washer. I've mentioned this to you before, but if this is your first time here, I was a window washer. Uh, window washer during my time in school, helped pay the bills, helped pay the rent. And so I didn't go up on the scaffolding, but I had long poles and I would go and I would wash windows in the Chicago suburbs and it paid the bills, it was nice. Now, there was this soap that they wanted you to buy on these routes, but it's really, really expensive. So a trade secret, and yes, you can steal this trade secret because I believe in it and I still believe in it, even though you're gonna hear in the story, I've done this, uh, but Dawn, dish soap Dawn for 99 cents, probably now $3 with inflation. Uh, you can buy it uh, at Walgreens and buy Dawn, put it in the little bucket and wash your windows at home. They will look squeaky clean, dish, just like your dishes in your sink. Wanna know why? Because windows and dishes have the same surface. There you go, look at this, you're learning about this. All right, so uh, so I was trained by an individual on a route. Uh, to, he said, hey, you don't need to buy this $100 bottle of soap, go buy 99 cents of Dawn. It's like, really? It's like, yeah. Well, here's the deal. We were told straight up in our contract not to do that, all right? Even though everybody else was doing it, we were told, don't do this, buy this soap. They must have had a sponsor, this $100 bottle of soap. But my, my trainer really convinced me, it'll save you money and they'll look cleaner. And I'm like, all right, I guess if everyone's doing it, guess what? I'm gonna do it too. I know our moms all taught us that if everybody's jumping off a cliff, you don't need to jump off the cliff as well, but I figured it's dawn, it's 99 cents, everybody swears by it, so I am gonna do it. And so I went ahead and I started washing all these windows on my route with dawn, and I'm gonna tell you, it really did do the job. It was awesome, they looked clean. It was, I mean, I wanted to eat off these windows, they look so clean, right? Well, then one day, my boss gave me a call, and he said, hey, Andy, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, just down the road. I'm going to start washing with you today. I was like, oh, okay, sweet. And this is something that my boss would do. He wouldn't want to hang out in, the, in, you know, in his office. He would like to go out on the field, as he'd call it, and he would find somebody all around the Chicago area and wash with them in the day. And it was, it was kind of fun when you'd come and wash, and, and he would just talk with you the whole time as someone that you get to talk to. And so that's what he did, and we started washing windows, and we, he, he was telling me about something that was going on in his life about 20 years ago, and all of a sudden, whatever story he was he was telling and I don't remember because you're going to find out why he was telling a story and he just stopped mid-sentence I thought well, what's going on with him is he having a medical event here what no 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 he looked at the window he put his fingers on the window and he smelled it and he goes you using Don that that's nothing sir that's nothing that that's absolutely nothing no it is something as are you using Don uh no uh, 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 yes 
busted. So for the next two hours, he was telling me why Dawn was junk. He made me dump the, dump my bucket out in the middle of this busy highway, suds and all. I felt embarrassed. I felt guilty, but that wasn't the kicker. The next day, a company-wide newsletter went out, and the top of the headline in about 72 block, all caps font, all right? All caps block, New Romans time font, boom, was don't use Dawn, it's junk. And then a big article. And by the time that every washer in the Chicago area read the article, they knew who he was talking about, me. And in that article, he says, and this informant told me that everyone's doing it. I went from embarrassed to guilty to feeling absolute shame. I thought, oh my goodness, not only did I get busted, I inadvertently ratted the whole company out. And they knew who I was. So for the rest of my time as a window washer, pretty much, I, whenever I'd see another washer, I, immediately I would just feel that shame like, yeah, I'm the one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know that your profit line's gone down. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know that you can't use Dawn anymore. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And it really got into my head. It got in my head big time to where I, as I was washing windows and you'd, be, you'd wash these windows in the neck nice and clean. You'd be able to see your reflection. And as I'm as able, I got myself looking at myself in the reflection of the window and thinking, my form's not good enough. Uh, my cleaning's not good enough. I, I've ratted out the whole company. And I held this cloud of shame over me to where my performance began to go down. Finally, my boss called me up and goes, Andy, what's the matter with you? I've gotten some complaints on some windows. What's going on? And finally, I just burst it. I was like, I feel so shameful for what I did, and the whole company hates me now, and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, whoa, what's going on here? And it's like, uh, remember that time you washed with me? And he goes, yeah. I was like, well, then you put a big headline on me? Well, yeah. I was like, that's been messing with me, man. He had to, like, talk me off the window washing ledge, literally. But I felt shame. It got in my head. And it became my identity that I, was, that I was a bad window washer. Why? Because of that one moment, that one headline. Seems silly, doesn't it? It can take something little, it can be something big that can just fester in your minds. Where have you felt shame in your life? Perhaps it's past decisions, maybe in your relationships, maybe you've gotten trouble with the law, maybe you're, you've, 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 gotten, uh, you've, you've uh, walked into life and you've, you've learned from your mistakes in the past, but that record of, of criminal activity in the past, it just keeps on following you. Uh, maybe um, you're ashamed of something you didn't do. You know, someone said something over you and you believed it and you didn't do it. Or maybe you're ashamed of something, some traumatic event that wasn't your fault. I've heard this many times when a loved one passes. They're like, if we called 911 quicker, if we called an ambulance to the house quicker, then maybe, and they're, again, they're rehearsing that, that guilt and sometimes that shame that that person's no longer there. Maybe you struggle. When you look in the mirror and you struggle with the things that were said to you, you struggle with your looks, your weight. Maybe you see those wrinkles under your eyes and you see those battle scars of decisions that you've, you've made throughout your life. And it's just, it's all in your head this morning. And it's manifested itself into shame. And you don't know what to do with it. The aim of our message today is to free you from real and legitimate guilt that you have control over, that you, maybe you've, you've done and you've regretted. But I also believe inadvertently today you can be free from the guilt and the shame that is not yours to be carrying to begin with. 
It's a lie that someone said over you. Feeling guilty and feeling shame are often used interchangeably, but today we're going to see they are very different. Guilt, let's define them, all right? If you're taking notes, write this down, guilt. Guilt is the fact of having committed a specific or implied offense. Guilt is the doing something wrong. It's, it's, it's you're guilty of doing what? Guilt's specifically focused on behavior. It's a declaration that someone has done something bad. Guilt declares that I have done something bad, but shame is different. Shame is actually taking on that bad thing as your identity. Whereas guilt says, I did this, shame says, I am this. Guilt says what we've done, shame says, you are what you've done. So if you're guilty of stealing, if you take on the shame of that stealing, you'll say, I, I am a, I'm a thief and will always be a thief. If you did something that you would declare disgusting, if you live in that shame, you'll say, I am disgusting. If you were unloving to somebody, but you feel and you wallow in the shame of being unloving to that somebody, you'll just say, I'm, I'm unloving and incapable of loving anybody. I'm worthless. I'm unwanted and it can never be pursued. I, I, I am somebody that can never be redeemed. I, I am ugly. I am fill in the blank. That is where shame begins to manifest. In fact, we'll talk about guilt here in a moment, but there are two distinct paths we can take this morning that will either lead to shame or your freedom. We're gonna to refer to these two a couple times this morning, but let's go ahead and take a look at two paths that we can take when we experience guilt that could lead to shame. Let's take a look at the first one. So we will all feel guilty about something in life, right? We all raised our hand or we all should have raised our hand. We've all felt guilty about something. Now the first path is this. So you feel guilty, so immediately you go to yourself. Oh man, I'm feeling guilty. What should I do? And what we, and, and we, we do is we end up going to self-help websites or self-help articles or self-help books and we try to look to ourselves to feel why we feel guilty and to feel not guilty or to alleviate our guilt. But what we'll see this morning is if we turn to ourself to get rid of our guilt, it will not leave us of our guilt, it'll actually lead us to shame. Shame will make us feel the guilt as if it's our identity or you can ignore the guilt and you'll begin to try to live your life so that you'll no longer live in that guilt so your identity or the things that you put into your life are actually something you're trying to do to avert to feel the shame. So if you don't feel like you're good enough, you'll strive to be good enough. If you feel like that you're, you look in the mirror and you don't like what you look like, you'll spend your whole life savings to try to make yourself accept yourself in that mirror. And it goes on. When you look to yourself, you'll look to the life of, of possibilities of how to make yourself happy and not guilty and make yourself feel better. But what you'll find yourself is you'll be spinning your wheels. Uh, you might temporarily feel better about yourselves, but you'll end up in this spot where you're dissatisfied. Quite frankly, you're miserable about the condition that you're in. And every single one of us has gone down this path. And many of us this morning, we might be following this path. That's option one. Here's option two and it flips the script. You feel guilty, you go to God with your guilt, and when you go to God with your guilt through Jesus Christ, you don't receive shame or condemnation or you don't feel like you're being forsaken, no, rather, you're given grace. That is undeserved favor that is yours. 
In the grace, you receive healing. In, in the grace, you receive a new perspective. In grace, you can realize that the things that had happened in your life, whether you did it or somebody else said falsely that you did it, whether what you believe about yourself, you can know that those things can indeed be in your past because through Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation. Through Jesus Christ, you begin to live in your new identity in him. Through Jesus Christ, his righteousness is placed on you. It's not about trying to do better. He did it all and we can receive it. Two very different paths. So, in order for us to understand how to not to end up in a place of shame, we need to understand what guilt is all about. So we're going to talk about guilt first, and then we're going to talk about how to be healed from shame. So, guilt uh, is an alarm that leads us to God. But the enemy uses guilt to lead us to ourselves. Guilt is an alarm that leads us to God, but guilt is something the enemy tries to use to lead us to ourselves. If we choose ourselves as the remedy to our guilt, it will lead us to shame. And this is the main idea this morning. There is no hope in shame. There's no hope in shame. Sometimes we think we need to wade through it to heal. No, there is no hope in shame. Without the forgiveness and guilt, you are left with shame, but taking your guilt to God, you have hope through his grace. So this morning, let's flip that equation. Let's talk about how we can find grace when we feel guilt. But we need to talk about guilt, what it actually is. Oftentimes we are told, even in secular society, that we need to ignore our guilt, or we need to ignore you know, feeling regret and all those things. And listen, here's the deal. For some of you, you're feeling illegitimate guilt in your life. You're feeling guilty about something you shouldn't feel guilty about. But I don't want to focus exclusively on that because you can't find out what is false guilt unless you know what real guilt is all about. So guilt can be a crippling thing, but it's an alarm system of our conscience that something is off. It's an alarm system. Um, we, a couple years ago, bought a ring doorbell you know, those ring doorbells, you get to see everybody that's coming to your door, and you know, you get, to, you get your notification on your phone, like, oh, right, grandma's here, right? And then they ring your doorbell, like, we already knew you were here. <laughs> so, but the whole idea of the ring doorbell is something bad happens. You can catch them, all right? The worst thing, though, about a ring doorbell is the false alarms. Oh, yeah, when the thing rings in the middle of the night, and you're like, who is at our door at five in the morning. This happened to us three times in December. And each time my phone went off, it was like 4.45 in the morning. I'm immediately thinking, who is busting in our home right now? And I would open up the phone, my heart beating 150 beats per minute. And, it, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? And I look at it, I'm like, oh, it's the FedEx, man. All right, Christmas presents at 4.45. Okay, five days later, it goes off, 150 beats per minute. I look, oh, it's... It's the FedEx guy, right? But it didn't matter. Anything before 6 a.m., I thought, all right, it's go time. We're, we are getting, we're getting the door kicked in. There's somebody who's gonna rip off all our stuff. It's a false alarm. Usually the alarm is good, but in this case, it was a false alarm. Not everything you feel, the alarm system of guilt, not everything you feel guilty about, you're guilty of. My mom, hello, mom. <laughs> She's probably watching right now. You feel guilty about everything, don't you? You always say you're sorry. Quit saying sorry at the TV right now, all right? She loves saying she's sorry about everything when our kids get sick. This is true, isn't it, honey? She's like, hey, our kids got sick. Oh, I am so sorry. I know she's feeling some empathy, but she feels a little guilt too. 
One time I went to the grocery store. He's like, Andy, could you go to the grocery store and get bread? Yeah, I'll get bread. Well, I went to the grocery store. There was no bread. All right, so I come back. I'm like, hey, there's just, there's no bread. Oh, I'm sorry I sent you out. I'm like, mom, it's not your fault, right? We've all met people where they are absolutely sorry for things that it's just absurd for them to be sorry about. We're not guilty for everything that we feel, but we are guilty for something. God's word has a lot to say about guilt. In fact, in the Old Testament, the word used for guilt meant to be punished or that you did something morally wrong. In the New Testament, which is written in Greek, uh, to be guilty is to be liable, to owe, or to be under a sentence. So we're not guilty for everything, but we are guilty for something. In fact, let's take a look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 to see this. We are all guilty. We're all guilty of something. Not everything, but we all are guilty. And for us to be free from our shame, we need to understand this. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What God's word is saying this morning is this. We are all guilty of committing sin in our life. We have all sinned. Uh, the definition of sin that I'll give you this morning is the transgression of God's law and rebellion against his lordship. That is the transgression of God's law and rebellion against his lordship. And I put the name in parentheses. Uh, this definition comes from John Frame's systematic theology, but I thought it was a really good one. It's a transgression of what God asks, and it's a transgression against God's leadership. Saying, God, I'm the boss. That's what sin says. And it's the humans, it's humanity's modus operandi to deny or downplay the reality of sin. We like to say what God says, God's, God's word says that uh, what he says is black and white, but what we like to say is, is that it's shades of gray. It's negotiable. Okay, I read that it says, you know, don't gossip or, you know, I'm not to, you know, uh, bear false witness and never lie or I'm not to steal. But you know what? I think I can think of some scenarios where, you know, I can do that. That's what we like to do. We like to figure out the loopholes of what God is saying. We think that sin's negotiable. You know, I think it's the reason why in Hollywood recently there's been a lot of backstories of villains. There's these backstories, there's these horrendous villains, right? And when you're done with the movie of the villain, you're like, oh, I feel bad for Kim Jong-un. He's just misunderstood. I, I know that he puts huge, awful bombs in the air and he, he arrests innocent people, but he was misunderstood. That's what we like to think of sin. It's misunderstood. Now, never mind the atrocious acts that we commit. We're just misunderstood. We like to reclassify sin as we are the victims. We compare ourselves. Well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. Or with our sin, we like to reclassify it. Well, that's just a preference. That's just the way that person is. Leave them alone. Maybe uh, you grew up in a family, and the family is just known to have a hothead. Tell it like it is. And you go around to your friends. Well, you know, it's just the way I am. When I just see something I don't like, I just, I just get angry. And I just say it like it is, right? And sometimes I just want to say to these people, no, you're just mean. 
and you learn that from your parents, and maybe your parents learn it from their grandparents, and guess what? Here's the deal. No matter what we inherit from our families, from our environment, never ever should we say, that's the way we are, or that's the way we've always been, or that's the way how we operate. No, you have the personal responsibility to say, this may be how I've acted, this may be how my parents have acted, this may be how my grandparents have acted, but guess what? I know what the Lord God Almighty, how he wants me to act. I know that if I am in Christ, I have the Holy Spirit to live as Christ, uh, to, to live in the miraculous power of Christ. So what, what this means is this. I have the personal responsibility right now saying I'm going to choose this day to be like Jesus and whatever is behind me, it's behind me. Sin is missing the mark. And we can try to reclassify it, justify it. We can call it an addiction. We can call it, you know, just a, a little bit of a transgression. Uh, we could try to do what the politicians do and say, oh, you know, it's not that bad, right? You know, like we could do all these different things to trick ourselves into thinking that sin is no big deal. But it's an affront to the Lord God Almighty. And we all have sin. It's in our hearts. So the question is, where did it come from? Where did sin come from? Well, sin started in the garden. Adam and Eve, the first human beings, were created by our God, created in the image of God. We are created in the image of God. He created them without sin, but with the responsibility to continue not to sin. And so we know it didn't take many words in the Bible, much of the narrative to see that Adam and Eve sinned. They were told they were told in Genesis 2.16, the Lord God warned them, you may freely eat the fruit of the tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. And they're like, okay, God, we'll do that, right? When we read the Bible, we're like, okay, God, yep, yep, here I am, send me, right? And then all of a sudden, few days, man, few days, sometimes it's a few hours. Sometimes it's in the parking lot when you're leaving church. Sometimes it's on the way to, to lunch or brunch or wherever you go. And all of a sudden you're fighting with your wife. You're fighting with your husband. You're fighting with your kids. You're fighting with your friends. You're talking about somebody. You're doing something, right? You, you said yes just a few moments ago that you're gonna do it. And all of a sudden now you find yourself in disobedience. That's what we see with Adam and Eve, right? You can blame your great, 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 great grandparents. Oh, it's their fault. They are the ones who first sinned. No, we have the responsibility to be like Jesus. And yet Adam and Eve, they had the responsibility to obey and they didn't. They disobeyed. They didn't, if they disobeyed, it said they would die. Well, they didn't die instantly, but they did die. That's the point. They died physically and instantly they died spiritually. Instantly they were separated from Almighty God. Instantly they needed a remedy. Adam and Eve and every human being thereafter needed a spiritual remedy. We need a spiritual remedy. And as it states in the book of Romans, even all of creation has been affected. Creation today, according to Romans chapter eight, is groaning for restoration. It's groaning. It needs a restoration, and a restoration isn't gonna come from us, church. It comes from the Lord God Almighty and his transformation. So sin started in the garden, then sin spread to the world. Sin has spread to all of our hearts. We have all sinned, we've all done wrong, but, it's, but you know what, it, it, when sin, sin spreads, we can think of it like a disease, I guess, but it's much worse than that. Because like when there's a disease or a virus, you know, kind of like recently when the viruses are hitting everybody and you're kind of like, okay, did you have it? Okay, did you have it? I'm gonna wait and see if he gets it now, all right? Or, um, uh, you know, you're kind of looking like, okay, that's a cough. Uh, okay, uh, what's going on here? I think maybe they might have it. That's not how it is with sin. 
You don't have to look around saying, okay, I'm gonna see if this perfect person's gonna sin today. No, we've all sinned, every single one of us, and it wasn't hard. You wanna know why? Because it wasn't born out of just an indiscretion, which it was. It was born out of something much deeper. It's our whole nature. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, our whole nature in itself has been corrupted. We are not naturally inclined in our physical selves to be for the things of God. We are not naturally inclined in our physical selves to do what is good. You know what we're naturally inclined to do? Evil. We're naturally inclined to do what, to serve ourselves. That's why we need a supernatural rescue from the Lord God Almighty himself, giving us his Holy Spirit to change the whole script in our lives, that when you have the Holy Spirit, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can now be inclined to the things of the Spirit. But in ourselves, we have nothing to offer in the equation because we have a sin nature. Our, our human nature has been corrupted. Our sin nature is, is this. Sin has made our earthly nature opposed to the things of God and inclined toward evil. We have a sin nature. And until we get to heaven, our sin nature will not be completely gone. That's why we live in the yet, not yet. If you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you're given the Holy Spirit to live in you, to empower you in victory, to, to live a naturally supernatural life. But you know what? There are moments where the flesh wins out. Some of you are like, oh, Andy, you're, that's, that's not true. The Spirit can win out all the time. You show me one person who hasn't had a moment of indiscretion. I'm not saying we should do that. I'm not saying that is our goal line. It's not. Our goal line is to be holy as he is holy, right? Our, our goal line is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But church, this is what kills churches, where people are like, I'm just so perfect, so full of the Spirit. I'm just, I got it together, Right? Man, that just makes me want to go throw up in the bathroom, all right? You want to know why? Because so many people feel so condemned when they're around people that act like they have it all together. Listen, church, you know who has it all together? The Holy Spirit has it all together. You know who has it all together? Our Lord God Almighty, who went to the cross, Jesus Christ, to pay for every one of our sins. He has it all together. And when we lean into the one who has it all together, we can stop feeling like we have it all together. It's a beautiful thing. It's a freeing thing. It's a controversial statement in the secular world to say that we have a fallen nature. Because the world says this. I see this all the time online. You know, they'll fill in the blank of their, what they're upset about. They'll say, we can do better. Have you seen that? People are telling us as a society of like, you know. People starving in the world, and you went to McDonald's today. You can do better. They, they, they take something that is totally true. Yes, there are people starving in the world, and yes, that should break our hearts, and yes, we should do something about it. But yet, instead of in grace doing something about it, we're throwing heaps of guilt saying, you can do better. And that statement believes that you have what's in yourself to actually do better. World's religions preach that. You can do so good that you can impress God, that you can be saved by God. But the thing is this, we don't have what's in us to save us from our shame. Now, don't mishear me. It's not that a person, whether they know God or not, can't do anything good. Of course, they can do good things, right? We can, we can show mercy to people. We can be kind. Uh, it doesn't, you don't have to be a follower of Christ to be kind. I know atheists that have been kind uh, I, I, through humanity. Uh, uh, you... Uh, we, we've seen the, the invention of, of medicines and, 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 and a number of things, but, but the reality is this. 
Just because we do good things doesn't mean we have the good in us to save ourselves from shame. There's nothing in ourselves good enough for us to get to God. That's why Jesus Christ came, that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ placed his righteousness on us. He realized we couldn't do it. He realized we didn't have enough good in us to get to God, so God did what we could not do. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this. It says, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. It's incurable. Who can understand it? It's incurable. That's why we need God. You know that phrase, follow your heart? Follow your heart. How many of you, how many of you that's been advice that's been given to you before? Just, just follow your heart. Uh, sometimes it's been repackaged. Just do what you're passionate about. I can't tell you just how destructive that statement can be. It's kind of dumb if you want to think about it. Just follow your heart. Okay, thanks, Disney princess, right? Like, like seriously, if you really think about that, uh, that, that phrase, it's advice that can get you into real trouble. It's why people end up dating people they shouldn't. They followed their heart. Like, oh, that person is good looking. Oh, that person, it just gives me butterflies in my stomach. Well, you do know they're like, you know, uh, they killed a bunch of people. So, I know, but they make me feel so good, right? Follow my heart. Don't worry that they have a terrible work ethic or have an anger problem or don't care about God, but you're following your heart. Just imagine if we took that follow your heart, and this can go with a lot of phrases you see online, right? A lot of just catch-all phrases. Just take these catch-all phrases to their logical end and you realize it's a bad catch-all phrase. Follow your heart. Imagine if you did that with work, right? You'd never turn those TPS reports in ever again. You wouldn't get out of bed, right? Imagine follow your heart when you, your kids are crying in the middle of the night. You know, it's like, ah, I don't know if I want to change that diaper right now. I'm following my heart, right? Imagine just where your life would be if you followed your heart. You would give in to every road rage. You'd never say no to the things that you should or should not be eating. You'd drink yourself drunk. You'd live in deep addiction. If all you did was follow your heart, you would end up in jail or dead follow your heart is really really dumb advice why because the prophet jeremiah told us that our hearts are exceedingly wicked it's incurable our heart's passions we should have passion and needs to be rooted in truth specifically the truth of the bible our heart's passions need to be led by the holy spirit they shouldn't just be like well this is just what i'm feeling what you're feeling could be evil or it could be good and that's why we need to test everything. Our guilt that we feel in our hearts from sin is a conscience that should push us to be set free in Christ because we all desperately need to be saved from a Savior. So we all have guilt. We've all sinned. We've all done something wrong. And what we see here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, is there's a remedy. The remedy is not ourselves. The remedy is the Lord God Almighty. We could all be set free. Uh, 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I am writing these things so that you may not sin. Just because we all sin, and some people can miss here, they're like, okay, so what you're saying is we all sin. Great, I'll probably go sin after church today. No, 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 no. He's saying this because we aren't to just by default live by sin. We have a new way to live if you're in Christ. And he's saying these things so that you may not sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Everyone say Advocate. Advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for those in the whole world. 
And so I realized the scripture wasn't up there. So I realized this, is there's three things that we see here. There's three things. Is we have advocate, we have atonement, and we have the hope of the world. Can we actually go back to that real quick? Uh, 1 John, John 2.1. 1 John 2.1. All right. So Jesus is an advocate, if you can follow along in your physical Bibles here. Jesus is an advocate, and what this means is this. While we wanted nothing to do with God, while our natures were broke and bent towards sin, Jesus sought you. This is where sin wants to create shame in your hearts. Jesus Christ wants to deliver you from that shame. When you wanted nothing to do with him, it wasn't about your performance, it wasn't about how good you were or what, what you're doing in the moment, Jesus sought you. Jesus is seeking you right now. How do you know? Because you're hearing the truth of God's word right now. He led you to be in this place. He led you to be online right now. God is seeking you right now. He is your advocate. He wants to be your advocate. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, he wants to be your advocate. He wants to come alongside of you. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior, he has come alongside of you. He is your advocate. That word advocate in the original it's parakaletos, which means, which means come alongside. It's where we get the word paramedic, right? Uh, paralegal. That word para means he's come alongside. That means that wherever you're doing in your life, God is alongside you. He is there not just alongside you watching you. He's coming alongside wanting to direct you, lead you, and empower you. And when you place your faith and trust in Christ as Savior, when you stand before God the Father, the Son Jesus Christ is your advocate. When you stand before the Lord God Almighty, the Bible says that it is appointed once for a person to die and then they stand before God. When you stand before the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ will be your advocate. Where God would, where God would see your sin and shame, Jesus says, I got them. I got them. My righteousness has got them. He's our advocate. How's he our advocate? The next word we see here is he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus was the substitute. He took our place. When he went to the cross, he paid our sin debt in full. He paid our bill. Christ's death on the cross satisfied the justice of God. Some people are like, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Why can't he just let everybody into heaven? Because that would be unjust. It'd be unjust against God's holiness. And so to satisfy that justice, it took God doing a drastic thing, sending his own son to die for us. And this atonement on the cross was necessary as it provides forgiveness of sins of all time. The Bible says that all those who receive have been given the full rights to be children of God because he stood in your place and when you receive what he has done for you already, you no longer have to strive, you no longer have to try to be accepted because you are forgiven and you are accepted. So whatever you're feeling guilt with today, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you are accepted. You might feel like he's against you this morning. You might feel like that God wants nothing to do with you. That is a lie that's not from God because if you are a child of God, you have been accepted by God. And this is hope. And it's not just hope for the United States of America. It's not hope uh, just for the Western uh, church. It is hope for anybody and everybody around the world. In so much, I've said this before, that many people in the third world today, in fact, there are more people in the third world giving their lives to Jesus than all of Christendom combined in history. There are so many people giving their lives to Jesus, especially in the third world today. It is the hope of the world. It is a rescue for anyone and everyone in church, there's no greater cause of rescue than one person's soul. Our souls are so important, they're eternal. 
And when we forget this as a church or as an individual, we have minimized the effects of sin. We've minimized the danger of sin. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is everything our soul needs. As Kenosha City Church, there are many things that we will do. There are many things that we will do to bless this community. But the one thing we must do is we must be about people's souls. We must see that people's souls are made right with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must see souls be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be the hands and feet and hope of Jesus Christ in this community. Jesus is the hope of the world, and we must not forget that. The church, we must be the hands and feet, especially with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are entrusted with one thing, the Bible says, one thing that we will be held accountable. There are many things that God will call us to, but there's one thing that we're all entrusted with. We are entrusted with the gospel. And so we have all sinned. Jesus provides a way. But you'll find the third thing about our guilt is that for many people, they will reject it. 1 John 1.10 says this. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So many people will reject about our guilt. So our guilt, uh, we all have it. Uh, God provides a way, but many will reject. And the person that rejects is basically saying, as it says in 1 John 1.10, sin's not a big deal or sin doesn't exist. And many people reject Jesus because they think they're good enough. If there is an afterlife, ah, then I'm probably good enough. I'm not the worst possible version of myself. But what they'd realize is this, their good is but filthy rags before God. We may do good in this life and the good may help people in this life, but it's not good enough to make you right with God. That's why Jesus had to come. So let's go back to, fig one, to figure number one here. What we see here is this. For many people, if you reject Jesus, you're guilty, you'll feel that guilt, you'll turn to yourself, and you'll end up in shame. The only way that you can relieve that shame is Jesus Christ and continue to remind yourself of the gospel because even Christians, you can forget not to live in shame. God provides a remedy to our sin, to our guilt. He's our advocate. He's our atonement. Without God's remedy, we, will, we are to live in our shame, and it manifests in different ways. If you don't have Christ, your identity is not found in him. Uh, but for, for many of you today, you've forgotten your identity in him. There is no hope in shame. Shame steals your identity. So we will all feel guilty, okay? Did we get that? We'll all feel guilty. Jesus provides a way. But many people are rejecting Jesus for the way. And if you are, if you're rejecting Jesus, that is the outcome. But what happens if we just leave this as our outcome? Or for the Christian, for the follower of Christ, what happens when you forget about grace? You begin to wallow and drown in shame. Here are three things now about shame. What happens when we choose or we forget the grace of Jesus and we begin to isolate ourselves in shame? So what happens when we live in shame, when it begins to steal our identity, when we begin to believe we are what we did? You feel isolated, you feel unworthy, and you'll begin to shift blame to others. Let's talk about the first one. When you begin to live in that identity of shame, shame isolates you. Let's go back to Genesis chapter three. Genesis chapter three, verse one. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Well, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. Now, we read earlier this morning that God made very clear in his command, guess what? 
don't eat from that tree. If you do, you'll die. We know they did, and we know that sin reverberated all throughout the creation and reverberated in our life and continues to do so. But we can see the clear command that Adam and Eve said uh, why they rejected it. They believed the questioning of God. Satan manifested himself in a serpent, and they believed him. Now, listen, I don't know if many serpents are being, demons are manifesting themselves in serpents today, but the demons of our life, the enemy of our souls, manifests himself in a number of different ways. Sometimes it's supernatural. Often it's bad advice. Often it's the manipulation of our thoughts. It could be a number of things. Adam and Eve, they wanted that fruit they could not have. They listened to the temptations, and boom, they gave in. Verse 7, at the moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Immediately when they ate, they realized shame. And God created Adam and Eve naked. They were naked and unashamed. Uh, they were husband and wife. That was okay, right? Uh, but immediately when sin entered, they immediately realized, oh my goodness, and they felt shame. Shame entered the equation. Verse eight, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walk in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. The enemy is shrewd. He tempts you to give in, and the minute that he, you give in, he wants you to feel guilt, but guilt that feels shame, not guilt that leads to grace. When we feel guilty about something, our first reaction is to hide. We wanna hide from our friends, we wanna hide it from our loved ones, we wanna hide it from ourselves, we wanna hide from God. Adam and Eve, they felt the shame of their sin, so they decided to play a game of hide and seek. Like, oh my goodness, uh, we're naked. Uh, oh, here comes God, uh, quick, quick, hide, hide! And I love it because God decides to play with them, all right? He decides to play some hide and go seek. You know, it's kind of like my kids. You know, when they hide when I come home, they play a game of hide and seek. And again, I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna play along with it. And so I'm like, okay, kids, where are you? Well, I can hear them, number one. Number two, I can see their feet hanging out from underneath the bed. But of course, I get into the room like, man, where are they? Where are my kids? And they giggle a little bit more. I'm like, I don't know where they're at. Allison, have you seen the kids? I'm really worried. Maybe we should call the police. And usually one of the kids is like, no, no, no. <laughs> right? It's like they thought the whole time they were hiding. I knew where they were the entire time. Well, that's exactly what it was when God walked in the garden. He saw Adam and Eve. He saw their feet proverbially hanging out of the bushes. And he's like, huh, where'd you go? Adam and Eve, I don't know where you're at. <laughs> where are you? Adam and Eve stood guilty before God. They felt weak, they felt ashamed, they felt accused, so they hid. They didn't want to be found out. They didn't want God to find out. They're like, shh, shh, okay, Eve, if, if, if he finds out what he did, he's, he's, he's gonna know how bad we are. If he finds out what we did, like, he's, he's gonna know that we did something evil. He may forsake us. He's gonna hate us. Hide! And some of us were hiding from God right now. We're feeling that shame, and we're like, okay, if anybody, if they, if they find out, uh, if God, if, you, if I talk to you in prayer about this, I know that I, what I'm feeling right now, you're gonna, there's no way that you can receive me. There's no way that you not reject me. And where we hide isn't often in the bushes or behind a tree or underneath the bed. 
We hide it in a bunch of different places in life so we don't have to deal with the shame that we're feeling that we maybe even forgot that we're feeling. For some of us, we overwork. We go to work so we don't have to deal with the, maybe your marriage is on the rocks and so you just work, you work, you work, you work, you work. Or maybe you work because you had a parent or someone tell you that you'll never measure up. And so you're trying to climb rung by rung on that corporate ladder to prove yourself. You're hiding at work to not deal with the shame of feeling like you're nothing, right? For some of you, you hide other places. You hide behind the phone and you're scrolling so you have to deal with the feelings that you're thinking. For some of you, you hide on the golf course. For some of you, you hide in, in, in inch-deep relationships because you don't, want it, you don't want them to find out who you are. And maybe you hide behind flowery Bible language. I'm just going to kind of speak King James at church today. People think I'm, I'm, I'm spiritual and then I don't have to deal with what's actually going on here, right? Some of you, you hide behind humor. How do you hide? We shut people off when we hide and isolate ourselves. And we make excuses not to connect to others or to God. And we hide because we want to feel safe from our shame. Don't mishear me. It is important to find a place of refuge, but not a place to where we cannot actually go in that hiding place and be healed. Shame isolates. And it's in this isolation, it's where the enemy crafts your identity of who you're not. But Jesus Christ has come to take away your shame so that you can be healed by his love and grace and become more like him. Second thing shame does, it makes you feel unworthy. I'm gonna read you a story from Luke chapter eight, verse 43. Luke eight forty-three: a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any, approached from behind and touched the end of Jesus' robe and instantly her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming in and pressing against you. Someone did touch me, Jesus said. I know the power is gone from me. Jesus was on his way to heal the ruler of the synagogue's daughter when a woman approached him and touched Jesus in hopes of being healed. Now, this account was written by Luke, who is a physician by trade. And he knew, and as he writes, this lady's condition was not curable. We don't know the lady's name, but what we do know is that she spent everything she had on trying to be cured. Her condition was a feminine issue, and in Jewish cultures, this made her unclean, so unclean that she could not go uh, to the synagogue, and unclean that she couldn't even go into public for 12 years. And yet, in her shame, uh, she was invisible to society. In fact, many in society felt if you had a long-term illness, you must have done something wrong for God to give you that illness. That's bad theology. Uh, we have sickness because we live in a fallen world. Uh, we don't have sicknesses because you're, you're in sin. Sin can cause sicknesses, but not all sicknesses are a cause because of sin. You got that? And so this lady felt the shame. She felt the shame of society, probably the shame from even God, uh, what she perceived was God's shame. It wasn't. And so this woman was desperate. She would do anything she could to be healed. And so, as Scripture says, she went from behind uh, Jesus to where she would not be seen, and she touched the very edge of his robe and I love Jesus's response it's just like in the garden where he says hey where are you hiding Jesus is like who touched me well he knew who touched you knew who touched the robe right but Jesus goes who touched me and when the woman verse 47 was horrified when he found out that he felt that Luke 8 47 when the woman saw that she was discovered she became trembling and fell down before him in the presence of all people she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed the woman noticed that Jesus had noticed that somebody touched him and she freaked out. She realized, 
oh my goodness, I could get put in jail for this. Like, oh my goodness, I'm gonna get found out. And you know what's crazy? The scripture says she was immediately healed when she touched the hem of his robe, but she was so filled with shame, she didn't recognize her healing. Did you get that? There's so much healing that God wants to give this morning. He's even given a down payment of this morning, but we are so wallowing in our shame that we don't see what God's doing already or what he could do. Luke 8, 48 is perhaps, I think, one of, one of the most profound responses of Jesus. Jesus responded in one of the most profound moments in the Bible, Luke 8, 48. He said, daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This lady saw Jesus for who he is, Savior, placed her faith and trust in him. She was healed. And Jesus addressed her not as a stranger, not as woman, as many men would in that time. They'd call her just woman, but daughter, daughter. Shame makes you feel like a stranger, unworthy, but Jesus wants to pick you up from your sin and shame as he, as he does right now. He wants to pick you up from your sin and shame, but many of us, we don't wanna to go to God because immediately we think he's gonna put his finger and say, how could you, how dare you, why did you do that? But he wants to pick you up in his mercy and grace and say, I love you, you are healed. Last thing, and this is important. Shame makes you isolated, makes you feel unworthy, but the last thing is shame, if you wallow in it, it'll shift your blame. Genesis chapter three says this, it's that when Adam and Eve ate the apple, it's interesting, when you read the, when you read the passage, uh, basically Adam blames Eve, and Eve then blames Satan. There's a bunch of blame shifting that happened at the first sin, and that's what happens when we wallow in our shame. Instead of spreading grace towards other people, our misery will find other miserable people. If we're hurt, we'll find other hurt people. And if we, don't, if we refuse the grace that God wants to give us, we will instead not give grace. We'll give out further shame to other people. We'll begin to shift what's going on in our life into other people's lives. You begin to project your heart towards everyone else. You begin to see your problem is now everybody else's problem. You begin to be such an expert at misery that you'll begin to think it's your spiritual gift. You'll begin to read other people's hearts and their intentions. That's a bad spot to be in. You blame yourself, then you'll blame others, and eventually you'll blame God. There's no hope and shame, none. So your decision today must be this. Flip it upside down. Let's see it one more time. When you go to God, you get his grace. When he tastes his grace, you give it to others, even when you don't think they deserve it. So this is what we're gonna do. We're just gonna pray to God, and we're gonna ask him to heal us. But here are very specific things I want us to kind of guide us as we do business with God right now. Is number one, if we could put that last slide up. Number one is choose this day. Choose this day what path you're gonna walk. Is it gonna be one that leads to shame where you go to yourself and you feel that guilt? Or you're gonna to go to God and you're gonna freely receive his grace even when you know you don't feel like you deserve it. And as you receive grace, are you gonna give it towards others? So there's one way you can go, guilty self-shame, or you're gonna go guilty God grace. What one is it? Choose this day. Number two is we need to reframe. Stop looking at the guilt the same way you've been looking at it and look at it the way that God sees it. If you're in Christ, he remembers your sin and shame no more. You may need to talk to him about it. If it's fresh and something that you've been not talking to God about in your life, you need to ask him for forgiveness, but he's gonna throw that to the bottom of the sea. Number three, talk to somebody about it. We need to kill that isolation right now. What is it that you feel shameful of? What is it that you feel guilty of? Talk to somebody about it. 
Number four, you need to pray and praise your way through it. When you feel like you're guilty and shame, you won't go to prayer, you won't go to worship, you feel like you can't. Listen, you need God. You need to go to him. You need to, you need to tell God how great he is. You need to trust him in his sovereignty. You need to trust him in his power. You need to invite the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do in your heart. The Holy Spirit can heal. The Holy Spirit can empower. And oh yes, the Holy Spirit can use you even when you feel inadequate. And number five, Stop speaking lies over you and begin to speak the truth of God's grace over you. Begin to speak God's scripture over you. That's why you need to be in God's word, to begin to speak back the truth of Jesus Christ. When you feel forsaken, you can say, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you believe that you are your sin, you can realize that in Christ, I've been set free, that I've been crucified with Christ. It is I no longer live, it's Jesus Christ who lives in me. We realize whose we are when we speak back God's truth. So let's just go to him right now. Let's ask him, where do we feel guilty? Let's ask him, where do we feel that shame? Stop going to yourself with it and give it to God right now. Ask the Holy Spirit to meet you exactly in that spot. Yes, I'm telling you to open up that vault that you have not even dealt with for many years. God wants it. And in that void of where that shame has been, the Holy Spirit wants to fill in those cracks. The Holy Spirit wants to empower you in a new way. So Heavenly Father, we pray right now that you would meet us, that you would heal us. If there's anybody in this room right now that doesn't know you personally, that they would say, Jesus, I need you. Yes, if there's, as we continue to pray, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior, today's the day, the Bible says. Confess that you've sinned, you've done wrong. Confess that you need Jesus to forgive you of your sins. He went on the cross, died on the cross to save you from your sins. There's no other way but what Jesus did for you. Acknowledge that, receive that. Believe that he rose from the dead. You'll be saved, the Bible says. Just receive it. Are you ready to receive Jesus? You ready to receive that forgiveness? You just can't know about it. You need to personally receive it. Just tell them right now, Jesus, I receive you. Jesus, I receive what you did for me. If that's you with every head's bowed and eyes closed, just slip up your hand right now. Say, yep, that's me. I received it today. Thank you, I see you over there. Anybody else? Raise a hand up high saying, yes, I'm choosing this day, Jesus. Awesome, I see you too as well. As we continue to pray, Let's invite the Holy Spirit right now to do what only he can do. Some of you are thinking back to a relationship three years ago that you made absolute mistakes with. And you felt like I just kind of pushed it out of the way and God's like, no, I want it. I want to heal that. Some of you have realized that you've been living life, you've been, you've been trying to live through advancement because you're trying to please your father, not your heavenly father, your earthly father. And you know that no matter what you do, it's just not good enough. Well, listen, you weren't put on this planet to simply please your earthly father. You want to honor him, but there's no guarantee that you're going to please him. You're put on this planet to please your heavenly father. And he's done everything you need to receive him and for him to place his favor on you. He's releasing you today of climbing that corporate ladder to please your earthly father. He's releasing that. It doesn't mean that you can't strive to be successful or take that promotion. It means you're stopping to try to promote yourself to your, have, to your earthly father. 
because you know that you already have that acceptance from your heavenly father. And to the person you've been doing so well with that addiction and in this last week you proverbially fell off that wagon. Perhaps you're feeling more shame than you felt in years. When Jesus died on the cross, he even saw this moment. He wants you to receive his forgiveness so you no longer walk in that shame or relive that shame. He wants you to live in that grace now. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. It doesn't mean that we continue to live as if we don't have God. We want to live to be more and more like Jesus. When we stumble and when you fall, the enemy's trying to make you feel shame so you give up. No, today, God is giving you the way, the Holy Spirit, to get back up and walk. So Father, we pray this morning for anybody and everybody with what was mentioned and everything in between, that shame would die at the cross because you paid for it, all of it and that we receive your grace, your favor that you give us. We don't deserve it, but you did it because you love us. And God, I pray because of the grace that we receive every single day, we'd be people of grace that would share the grace of the gospel, that we'd be people of grace and attitude and word all throughout our week. God, help us make you irresistible. You are, but God, help us people see you in us. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.